Adam and Eve is not giving you 10% off and not 20% off or even 40%. Your discount is even bigger. AdamandEve.com is giving you a whopping 50% off. But why stop there? In addition to 50% off, you also get 10 free gifts. That includes a racy item for him, a sensuous toy for her, and something we know you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, and even blow you away. And best of all... Free shipping. Always delivered in discreet packaging. So rethink your bedroom routine. Go to adamandeve.com and enter the station's exclusive code at checkout. Miller. And get, you know the discount, 50% off almost any item and 10 tantalizing free gifts. That's Miller. Again, Miller. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I can't hold up the book. It's in my iPad. <laughs> She's here, hey, my friend Jill welcome. Weinbanks, Hi. author of Watergate Girl. Jill yeah. Weinbanks, prosecutor extraordinaire. Hi, Jill Weinbanks. Good morning. How are you, Stephanie? I miss you. Good morning. I miss you so much, and we love your book. We love your book so much, Watergate Girl. Yep. It's, we were just saying, you were talking about your fear, the lag time in publishing, but when you wrote it, it just gets more relevant every single day, doesn't it? I mean, these... it does. And, and what I wrote was that this was worse than Watergate, that yeah. we're in much more danger for democracy. Um, and every day we are more and more in danger. Um, his use of the military has now become something that I, you know, that I didn't write about that because it didn't exist back then. But now we see it. Uh, you've had the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the chairman, saying, I'm sorry, I should not have participated in the photo op church. I should not have been with him. It looked like the military was getting involved in civilian issues, and that was wrong, which it certainly was. Uh, so there's more and more relevant every day. Okay, because you're my friend. Let me brag about you a little bit. Let, would you like some Joe Weinbanks fun facts, everyone? Sure. I can't believe you're my friend. Oh, my God, you're so classy and fantastic. Jill Weinbanks, everyone, was general counsel of the Army. Uh, she was uh, first woman to hold the position of executive director of the American Bar Association, first woman to hold the position of U.S. general counsel of the Army uh, from 1977 to 1980 under uh, President Carter. Uh, she was the Watergate prosecutor, of course, who cross-examined Rosemary Woods about the Watergate tapes. And she's my friend! Yeah. <laughs> I Can I just say, you're just such a good person and a good friend i just even your biography jill weinbanks is currently an msnbc legal analyst she also appears on pbs canadian australia networks sirius xm npr and other radio shows including stephanie miller oh i'm the only one you mentioned by name i'm the only one because you're you're, and you you pushed me out of my comfort zone when you had me be part of the sexy liberal blue wave tour a comedy show and i always thought of myself as not a funny person and you made me a funny person so it was wonderful you are funny you are warm you are uh, you are like 
Can I just say for obviously being the first woman, being such a pioneer in so many ways, you I can just say personally, you really get the sisterhood. You're always like tweeting in support of other women, including me. You're or you're um, so supportive of all your other legal ladies. I, I, I just I just I just want to say girls, girls. girls. Um, yep. And it is interesting. It goes right to your title of the book, Watergate Girl, which at first you were like, oh, I can't call it that. But that right. was the era you grew up in where you were like the girl and they were focused on your fashion and your, your your outfits and your looks, right? And they actually called me girl. I mean, when I had conversations, people would say, well, you're a girl, so, and go wow. on with the conversation. And, and to your point about supporting women, aside from being involved in women's issues for my entire life, um, my proudest moments are when a woman is my successor. Right. That to me says, I have made a difference. I've opened doors for other women. And I also didn't screw up so badly that they right. said, oh, we can never hire another woman. So that's always been one of my proudest things. The woman who became general counsel, or the person who became general counsel after me yeah. uh, of the army was a, another woman. And oh, so awesome. that was yeah. a proud moment for me. Yeah. Well, now that you've said all that, let me just be really sexist and say, oh, my God, because you're so pretty. That's why, everybody, you're so hot and you're still so pretty and elegant and classy. It's just I. But this was what it was like when you're a prosecutor, the biggest trial in the country in Watergate. And, and they it, it, there were things about how they would focus on your, you know, mini skirts or your eyeshadow or whatever. And it's um as you said, and even even in the courtroom, you have fascinating stories about judges saying things that were incredibly sexist that undercut you, right? Talk about that a little bit. Well, yes. I mean, first of all, you have to understand during that era, there were so few women lawyers. And of the women who were lawyers, very, very few were actually in a courtroom. So that my class uh, at Columbia Law School was 5% female 5% black. And there was a quota for both. And when I entered the practice of law, of course, my 5% wasn't yet infused into the practice. So there were even fewer women who were in the practice of law. So everybody didn't know how to respond to a woman. I was a oddity. Um, Leanne Jaworski, who was the second Watergate prosecutor, right. always a lawyer. And I would remind him that I was physically in their presence. And if he just said I was a lawyer, they would see the rest of it. But he never could get over that. He said, oh, but I'm so proud of you. It's so wonderful that you're doing this. And um, But, of course, to me it was insulting. The coverage of me as the miniskirted lawyer uh, was really annoying because nobody commented on what my male colleagues wore. Right. Uh, that's just how it was when the publisher – wanted to use that title, I went, I will never let my name be on a book with the word girl in it. <laughs> and they said, well, what were you called then? What captures the era better than the word girl? And I had to admit they were right. And then they said, and let's look at how many books are number one bestsellers that have the word girl in them. And that made me really think about uh, it because yeah. it's like girl with a dragon tattoo, the girl on the train, all are Gone Girl. Bestsellers and Gone Girl. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a ton of books with the title Girl. So I decided that it was pretty good. And now I honestly embrace it as capturing the era 
in a way that nothing else could. And I think people who live through the era get it. And the people who are young and reading this book, I'm hoping will understand what it was like back then. Yes, it wasn't the Handmaid's Tale era quite, right. but it was right. a time of total discrimination. And we need to recognize that. And unfortunately, because I speak now a lot at, at colleges and law schools and meet a lot of people about to enter into professions, they think, oh, it's all fine, it's all gone, we're all okay. Well, it isn't because a few years later, they'll call me and say, boy, I need some lessons in how to deal with the sexism that I'm encountering. And I sort of hope that my book, which is really told as a story, just my life's tale, it's not a uh, lesson, but I have always learned from other people's biographies and memoirs. And I'm hoping that people will see the different strategies I used to get things done. Yeah even though I was facing discrimination. Well, and sometimes you have to use humor. You're my hero because you're able to be, you know, such a tough, amazing prosecutor, but you never, you know, you're you're still so nice and you're able to be, you know, warm and, and approachable and, and all of that, you know, and, and uh, okay. I And I've retroactively written some comebacks for you. Like you should have said, well, if you had legs like mine, you'd wear a win- miniskirt too. I'm just saying I've written some... <laughs> Um, I, let's I talk. I, I have to. You have some fascinating tidbits. Uh, at an annual gathering of journalists and their guests held by the Gridiron Club, you sold kisses in a booth with Dan Rather. You, uh, Gerald Ford, asked you to dance as the orchestra played uh, "Come Fly with Me" at a. Wow. <laughs> You've had a life, Jill Winebanks. Yeah, it's it has been extraordinary, and some. It's opened doors to me that would have never been opened. I've met some of my life's heroes. I mean, back during Watergate, um, Anthony Lewis was a um, hero of mine. And I happened to mention that in some interview. And the next day in court, I get a tap on the shoulder and I turn around and it's Anthony Lewis. And I was basically speechless because I I didn't know what to say. of course, now on MSNBC, oftentimes in the green room, I get to meet people who are heroes of mine, and it's been just an incredible opportunity, but also just now having um, a voice, being able to have somewhere that I can vent my horror at what's going on yeah. has been a really remarkable experience, and getting to meet people in you know, just on the street who come up to me and say, oh, I love what you've said about, and they have a specific thing. That means a lot to me is well, that I'm able to explain things. And it's a weird full circle because you wanted to be a TV journalist and now and you retired essentially at 65. Right. And but then this yes. has been this whole other career where now you're this TV rock star <laughs> in the era of uh, yes. impeachment. Yeah. Hold that thought, Jill, while I make myself as beautiful small as Jill Weinbanks, who I, right hot during Watergate, hot now. Right. Timeless, ageless. She's the Watergate girl. You're the basement girl. Yes, I'm. No, I'm no Joan Weinbanks, which is why I need Plexiderm. Just, I'm telling you, uh, it is uh, a clinically studied serum. That that's not just a ten year challenge. How long ago was Watergate? I mean, I'm telling you, mm-hmm. it was Plexiderm. a long time ago. Yeah, bags, wrinkles, under eye, whatever. All your. <laughs> I just call it your under eye. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever's there, it's gone. 
And I, because, right, you think, oh, yay, I can let myself go. I can put my good drawstring eating pants on, nope. just hang nope. out at home. No. no, you got Zoom calls, you got FaceTime calls, you got social media pictures. Come on, you can't, uh, you can't escape. And what's the only thing that shows when you're wearing a mask? Your, Your eyes. eyes. It's more important than ever. And you need just something that makes yourself feel a little better. Yep. Right? I call my little pick-me-up and shut down. Come on, man. Plexiderm.com, you need a tiny, tiny bit. So, And check this out. If you go to triplexiderm.com right now, use my code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm. You get an additional $10 off. That's half off plus an extra $10 off. And that little thing lasts you, it seems like, forever. Yep. yep. Um, okay. Or call them, 800-685-1292. Mention the code VOICES. Plexiderm, backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com. Don't forget the code is VOICES. Raise your voices. Type in voices at triplexiderm.com. Um, I, I was so drawn to you. The first, I, so many people, you know, when they first saw you, because of that, you exude not just this legal knowledge, but just sort of a, you know, a warmth and a, a... And I think this is why your book is getting such rave reviews, because you not only talk about one of the most important legal eras in our history and how it's relevant to today, but you're very honest about your personal stuff since this is the happy hour not the regular show let's talk about you taking a lover because <laughs> jill took a lover jill took a lover she <laughs> no we talked about this personally but it's fascinating how open you are in terms of being a woman because you you so you uh, married your first husband and we you talk very openly about this in the book that first of all you were the eldest child child of a close-knit jewish family never disappointed my parents ever gave them a reason to doubt my character dutiful daughter became a dutiful life to a lawyer you said his brilliance dazzled me. And then you, you talked about it began with sex that was awkward, quick, and not at all satisfying, beginning years in which our sex life never improved, which left me feeling unloved and undesirable. Um, and so that was, it was during this period, right? By the time Watergate came around, you, I, I'd grown used to my husband's indifference, embarked on a serious years-long affair with another lawyer that you had met. Um, and it, it, it's, I think, the... On, and now you and you have a happy ending too because now you're married to your high school sweetheart. Just talk about how that was that hard to write about all of this. Well, it, first of all, um, a lot of my friends and my Watergate colleagues said, "Please don't include that. Yeah. Do not include it." And they, of course, none of them knew at the time about this relationship. Um, Rick Benvenista, Richard, Richard, as he is now known as an adult, Richard Benvenista. Um, was very adamant that I should not do this. He has remained a very, a, a dear, dear friend. And I just felt that it was very much a part of my life, but more importantly, was a universal story of women of that era. And to some extent today, we blame ourselves. If it's not working, it's my fault. If it's not working, it's because I didn't fix it. And I have an obligation to fix it. And I tried for years to fix my marriage. And it, I mean, I was married for 14 years. And I should have learned much earlier that it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my responsibility. And I didn't have to be unhappy. Um, it also fed into my own lack of self-confidence. I thought that my husband, Ian, he knew who I was. He knew I didn't deserve all the accolades I was getting, and he treated me the way I deserved. So it it was really, I needed therapy, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I felt it was an important story to share because it was very much a part of my life. And 
the affair was not just an affair. It, it was yeah. a real relationship with a person who gave me much more confidence in myself and made me feel loved and attractive, whereas my husband did not make right. me feel that way. Right. So I felt it was an important story to share, and I hope that it will benefit other people. Well, I, it, I, I really think it does empower women because you're a lot for a man, I would imagine. You know, I mean, no, but I mean, you're not just brilliant. You're beautiful. You're you were accomplished, as you were saying, you were getting all these accolades. And I, I'm sure that's tough, right? A lot of men have a hard time with women like that. And, and I think not not just back then, but to this day. Right. I, you know, I still to this day, I don't know what was, you know, what was the bad dynamic. My first husband was um, on law review. He went from law school to the best law firm in New York. Uh, he was quite successful. He, you know, there was no reason for him. I was a mediocre law student. Remember, I went to law school not to be a lawyer. I had no intention of practicing law. But back then, women in journalism were considered girls and were offered jobs on the woman's page. I wanted to do hard-hitting news. I wanted to do, I don't know, law, foreign affairs, something exciting. And because I was offered these other horrible jobs, I thought, well, if I go to law school, maybe an editor will take me seriously. They'll think I have some expertise. And so that was why I went to law school, not to practice law. So I didn't really take it all that seriously. I didn't work that hard. Um, I almost flunked one course my first year, development of legal institutions, where you had to memorize all the kings of England for reasons I have no idea. I don't know why I need to ever know that. Um, and so he had nothing to be jealous of in the beginning, for sure. And our marriage was dead long before I became an actual lawyer. Uh, we had been married, uh, let's see, well, we met while I was a freshman. I took a year off. So right. it, it was years before I became an actual lawyer. And then it took me a long time to get a job in Washington because we moved after I had accepted a job in New York. He came home one day and said, even though you're staying for the New York bar and have a job in New York, I've decided we're moving to Washington. Right. And back then, I didn't say, well, you go. I'm staying. I, uh, and you weren't, even, and you weren't even getting any booty out of it. All right, let's oh move on. To, what? She wasn't getting any booty. She's a sexy, <sighs> she's a saucy uh, little minx. Yes, I know. Wine banks. Okay, yes. listen, I love this happy ending story. Now, you're from Chicago, which you'd never know from your accent. But uh, yeah. you... But you, uh, so Michael Banks, your husband, is, is um, it, I, it was your high school classmate and senior prom date. This is so, I love this story. You'd fallen out yeah. of touch for a decade after he saw you in a newspaper photo. He wrote you a letter and cut to, and now how long have you been married? 40 years. <laughs> That's, see, there are happy endings, girls. Yeah, it's really remarkable. Um, it's an amazing, amazing story. He... He had written to me uh, during Watergate saying, I'm you know, so proud of you. It's so great. Right. And um, I answered him, and then he wrote a, a more intimate, suggestive letter back. Oh, really? So I did answer that one. Um, and then a year or so later, he said— That was the version of sexting back then. So he sexted it you. Was, uh -huh. It yeah. was. Okay. And these were real letters by snail mail because there was no <laughs> other way. And— um, then he wrote me a Christmas card that I was separated at the time, but 
it was a secret because I was general counsel of the army and it was hard enough being a woman, but being a single woman was an extra hurdle. So I was pretending like I was still married. And I just kept his note in, there was a bedroom attached to my office at the Pentagon and I put it in a dresser there. And about a year later found it, by which point it was public that I was single. Right. And right. Uh, I wrote back to him and I was going to Washington, to Chicago on uh, business. And so I wrote him saying I was coming to Chicago and we met on a Friday night. By the following Wednesday, we decided to get married. Wow. Was- wow. Oh, See, God. that's why I'm such a mess because my parents got engaged and my sister and brother-in-law got engaged on the third date, both of them. And they both, my parents were married for 40, really? year, 40 years until my dad died and my sister third 50 years or something so i have a totally un- and now you i have a totally unrealistic uh, a vision yeah. of love thanks a lot <laughs> so now let's, <laughs> let's let's cut to present day so uh again you could you and your book could not be more relevant you are part of the um group that just filed this uh this amicus brief in the, the mike flynn case um and I love what you wrote to us. You said, I think the dismissal is to protect Trump from disclosure of what Flynn knows, which I suspect is a lot and part of a obstruction of justice. It's also a way to undo the work of Mueller and of all future special counsels, which is why you always stand up and speak out and write op-eds, because this is about the future of justice in America, not just now, right? It is. It's extremely distressing. Um Liz Holtzman, who was on the, she was the youngest member of the House Judiciary Committee during the Nixon impeachment, and I just wrote an op-ed in which we basically said exactly that, which is that this is a way for the president to avoid giving a pardon. It is a way to undo the work of Robert Mueller, but it also sends a message that the work of all future special counsel can be undone by the person they investigate. If the president can undo this indictment, then he can undo anything, and there's no point in ever having a special counsel investigate. The whole reason for that was that the Department of Justice has a conflict. They should not now be intervening. Um, but in addition, and, and remember, there's also um, uh, an amicus brief filed by Judge Gleason on behalf of Judge Sullivan, and he himself says this is a gross abuse of power by the Department of Justice. The legal grounds are flimsy to non-existent, I would almost say. And it is clearly done for political purposes. At a time when we are now looking at equal justice, we're saying, and yes, that equal justice movement is based on racial lines, but we also can't have a message saying, and if you're a politically connected friend of the president, you get a different kind of justice than anyone else. And the Department of Justice is making arguments to dismiss this case that it has never made any other time contradict what it does in every other case. And it's just the wrong thing to be doing. It threatens democracy and justice. Well, and again, you make these parallels. You say the facts raise the question whether Justice Department is part of a cover-up of presidential misconduct, just like Nixon's promise right, of, uh, of a clemency and payment of hush money to the Watergate burglars. The dismissal motion presents more than a routine legal issue. It threatens irreparable damage to our justice system. Flynn betray- betrayed our country and should be punished. Um, and then you talk about it undermines Mueller. Um, yes. And you say Nixon's cover-up failed because federal judge John Sirica believed that something was seriously amiss in the Watergate trial. He was sure the right. burglars were shielding higher-ups. 
uh, and the Justice Department was not ad- adequately pursuing that question. Um, so Sirica's skepticism and reputation for tough sentences caused one defendant to admit that higher-ups were involved and that perjury had been committed. You say Judge Sullivan could be today's uh, Judge Sirica. You say Flynn, like the Justice Department, is trying to block Sullivan, so he's asked the appeals court, all that stuff. But you say, um, left to follow the law, Judge Sullivan could li- liberate the truth, just as Sirica did in Watergate. The rule of law is at stake. But talk more about what you think that, that Flynn is covering up, right? That, that I'm sure Trump ordered him to make these calls, right? To, well, that's number one, Kislyak. I would say. Yeah. Yes. I think that he, first of all, it's clear, and, and even from Gleason's brief, um, you can see the facts laid out. It's clear that there were conversations between Flynn and transition team members at Mar-a-Lago before he had that phone call. They knew about it. They also knew he reported that his conversation had made a difference in the Russian response to the Obama sanctions. So it's clear they knew that he was interfering in uh, foreign policy of the existing president, Obama. Uh, So he also might know, aside from knowing that he was ordered to have that phone call by Trump, he might know that it was a payback for getting help in the 2016 election, that Russia would get better sanctions relief from uh, Trump than he would from Obama. And in exchange, you give us some help in making sure that we get elected. So um, this was part of a deal, election help for getting the sanctions relief. Um, and I think there are a lot of parallels. Uh, you mentioned you know, the relationship that we re- refer to with uh, Judge Sirica. Number one, Judge Sirica had a public hearing when he heard that there were tapes missing. Normally that would have been done in a grand jury in secret and no one would have known, but he felt that the public had a right to know that this was an important issue. And in the same way, Judge Sullivan is saying, I want to have a hearing. I want to find out what the Department of Justice's reasons are for dismissing this case. And I want to know the answers to these things. So he has, I think, a good model in the hearing that Judge Sirica did and could do the same thing. Um, And in the same way, you mentioned the hush money. Hush money was paid, and Judge Sirica just knew that the burglars were not telling the truth. He knew that in their burglary trial, someone higher up was involved, and nobody would talk about it. So he kept it, you know, all the burglars kept silent, but his pressure is what ended up breaking uh, one of the defendants to telling, yes, there are higher ups involved. Yes, perjury was committed in your courtroom. And yes, we were paid to be silent. And that was because on the eve of sentencing, they knew they were going to jail. So if Flynn knew that he was going to get a stiff sentence from Sullivan, he might be motivated to say, I don't want to go to jail. I'm going to share information. Yeah. I'll trade you a lenient sentence for my information. Yeah. And that's why on the eve of sentencing, once again, there is this talk. Now, the president could, unfortunately, he has unlimited power to pardon. But then there's political consequences that he would have to pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's trying to avoid taking responsibility for pardoning him by getting the Department of Justice to do this yeah. on totally false grounds. It's it's yeah. I mean, we have the fact that we have this disgrace of a of an attorney general in charge. I mean, they're obviously just trying to undo the Mueller report, Jill, which, again, 
it's all to cover up what we know. He was not legitimately elected. That I'm sure this was a thank you for their help in installing him in 2016. That's exactly what this was. That's what Flynn knows, that he doesn't want to, you know, that they're frantic to not have, you know, come out. That clearly it's the the final piece of the Mueller puzzle that, that this was, you know, absolutely not only material, goes right to the heart of it. That this was the thank you for, uh, you know, your help in getting me elected in 2016. So it's, anyway, I I can't imagine, again, for someone that's not only believed in, but fought for the rule of law all your life, just watching, you know, this just whole disgrace of a a justice department. It's not even a justice department, right? I mean, Bill Barr just lies repeatedly. It's so unfair. He does. And and his current conduct in connection with the uh, Black Lives Matter is really just as bad and just as threatening. Here is someone who is taking actions of ordering perimeters set up around the White House and who's saying that everything the president does is fine, it's all legal, when in fact it's not. And bringing this motion is just one more example of him having been converted into someone who is actively part of a cover-up and concealment of um, you know, maybe not. He wasn't part of the collusion with the Russians, but he's certainly part of covering it up. Yeah. Well, Jill's been talking about sexism during Watergate, and sometimes we women we subjugate ourselves for a good man. For instance, me putting on my little apron and pearls and cooking for Chris Lavoy yes. for the oh. sexy liberal virtual tour. It was delicious. He was doing man things like setting up tech for all of. <laughs> My virtual sexy liberal needs. Yes, your and lighting. What was I doing? I was grilling you, Chilean sea bass and mahi mahi and uh, wild sockeye salmon from Omaha Steaks. And it was delicious. Were you barefoot in the kitchen when you did yes, that? Yes, yes. Okay. And I, I don't think Chris got me pregnant for so many reasons. But my point is, <laughs> I was a good little woman. Yeah. And you can be too, for, especially for Father's Day. There's not a daddy alive that does not love getting stuff from Omaha Steaks. Um, for a limited time, you can find a variety of packages filled with beautiful Omaha Steaks, plus other premium meats, side dishes, artisan desserts, and much more. Uh, it, it's ideal. Packages come flash frozen, vacuum sealed, delivered at a cooler with dry ice safely to daddy's door. That means fresher than fresh with a 100% money-back guarantee. So much variety for every dad. So we, One of them is perfect for dad. Go to omahasteaks.com. Enter that code LIBERAL into the search bar. Unlock savings of 50% and more with the code LIBERAL. You'll also receive free shipping and a free one-pound package of delicious applewood smoked steak cut bacon on select packages. So many packages available. Perfect for dad. All ready to be shipped in time for Father's Day. omahasteaks.com. Type in LIBERAL in that search bar. Well, let me tell you about my dreams come true, and let me tell you about our love story. Oh, no. <laughs> I, when I got to hang out with Joe Weinbanks at Politicon, like, all day long, yep. I just followed her around like a little lap dog, and then we sat down to watch the Jim Comey, Nicole Wallace thing, yeah. and she just opened her perfectly elegant little purse, and she's like, would you like some gum? And I opened mine, and we both chew the same kind of gum, extra, extra sugarless peppermint gum. And I was like, I, that's the kind of gum I chew. Okay. And then, and then this tweet on Twitter, my first virtual sexy liberal show was great. I look forward to more. In return, let me say, the Chicago Tribune says this is a fine book from an insider's perspective. Rave reviews for yes. my friend Bill Weinbank's book, The Watergate Girl, which is essential reading. Essential reading. I, it, like I say, back to just the sisterhood and how supportive you are. I loved how 
how humanly you talked about Roseberry Woods, who legally was your adversary. Like you were tasked with interviewing her and then basically, I mean, not intentionally, but made her a laughing stock because she's trying to demonstrate how, oh, no, I erased the tape and that physically it was impossible for her to have her foot on the pedal and, you know, all that. But you talk about having empathy and sort of um, identifying with her during that. You know, it's so interesting because I really did want to portray her in the book as a fuller, richer person, not as the stereotype that she became of the loyal secretary throwing herself on her sword to protect the president. Um, But all of her friends and colleagues felt that I was the enemy, that I had made her a laughingstock, and they would not talk to me. People hung up on me. Bob Woodward finally said, stop calling. It's too easy to hang up on you. Knock on doors. So I flew to Washington, knocked on a door, and promptly got it slammed in my face. (laughs) So I kind of gave up on trying to get people to talk. Luckily, um, since the book came out, I was on um, Fresh Air on NPR, and I said something about I would have liked to have portrayed her even more as a a person than I was able to, her grand nephew called me and said, I will talk to you. And it's been wonderful. I've spent several hours on the phone with him and he has shared some really wonderful stories about Rosemary's character, her sense of humor. He calls her uncle Rose Ah. because his mother's sister was named Rosemary after Rosewoods. And um, he, when he met her, he said, I can't call you Aunt Rose. I already have an Aunt Rose. I'm going to have to call you Uncle Rose. <laughs> and she laughed. She thought it was wonderful. And the whole family started calling her Uncle Rose. So it, it showed a lot about her character. And then we even talked about one of the things that I had always been curious about um, was her her personal life. She supposedly was engaged when she was in high school or to her high school boyfriend, something, of course, I now relate to, but didn't back then. And um, he died of some disease quite unexpectedly. And she was so devastated that she left Sebring, Ohio, where she worked in a glass factory, moved to Washington, which was quite brave back then. And that's where she met Richard Nixon and ended up you know, working for him for the rest of her life. Um, And, but she never dated. She never had any relationship. She was escorted by a very big PR person named Bob Gray, who was well known to be gay. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered whether she also was gay and just, you know, looking for insights into her. And so I got a good enough relationship with her grandnephew that I asked him and he said, you know, I don't really know, but um, yes, it's true that, that Bob Gray was uh, was gay. Right. And we're very strict Catholics, so we were very homophobic. And she taught us to be tolerant. She let us know oh. him and meet him and see him as a wonderful person, and it changed our attitudes. So, I mean, that's a really great insight that makes me respect her that's so your- much more. That's your next book is finding out whether she was gay. Oh, or not. well, we know she we, we know she liked Dick, but only Nixon. Oh. <laughs> See what I did there? See what I did there? She liked Dick a lot. She liked certain Dick a lot. You can only say that on the happy hour. That's Stephanie. all I'm saying. Listen, Jill Weinbank's one of the all time great names. The only name that would be better is Jill, Jill Wine Miller.
which, but listen, you are like, a, you're my older sister's age. And so I know we were yeah. sitting at dinner at Politicon and I was like, just find me a white, I just need a gay you. I, I just, no, it's not well, that hard. Just find me a gay. I showed her, oh, I US. I, I do have a friend in San Francisco if you ever get up there. Oh, really now? Okay. Get up there from time to time. Friend. She's recently widowed. So, really? um, Yes. Um, How old are we yes, talking? She, <laughs> um, she's younger than I am by maybe five years. Oh. She's the younger sister of so my college. In, in, in her 70s. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she, she's probably, yeah, she might be 70. All right. Okay. I'm very, very shallow. I showed you a picture of my ex and you were like, I don't know. Are they all supermodels, your exes? I don't know anyone well, like that. You, you do have a, a group of beautiful exes yeah but they're well you asked me my type so it showed you but all right yes, we'll, keep, yes. we'll keep working on it i'm very shallow i'm not like you <laughs> anyway. well i'm gonna have to do better um <laughs> I, I was supposed to speak at the impact fund which is dedicated to um i think in part uh, or largely in part to um lgbtq Tea. Okay, keep your eyes open. Let's go. Um, and what? so maybe you can be my guest at that event, and oh. we'll see you can All right. meet. Let's go. I'll be I your wing lady. Let's go. Okay. That would be cool. I, All right. That um, was yeah. It gets rescheduled. Uh, we're waiting to see when. Jill Winebanks, I love you with the heat of a thousand white hot non-gay suns. Just just really hot heat, but not gay. Um, <laughs> what is your pin that you're wearing today? It's a couple dancing. It is a couple dancing woman dancing backwards in high heels oh. which was my original titles for the book because it was said about ginger rogers yep. that she had to do everything that fred astaire did only backwards and in high heels and to me it symbolized all the hurdles that women have had to overcome and so i thought it was a good capture of that part yep. of the book that's you. um so that was it was one of Yep. Uh, it was a pin I saw and went, I have to have it. Have to have it. And I gave you a pin of my mommy's that looks like a blue wave because that's how much you mean I to would, me. Yes. And I, I wore that the last time I was on your show. I know. And I will wear it. Wear it and as we were with what must be a major blue tsunami. I mean, yep. a blue wave yep. isn't even enough. We have to yep. house the Senate and the presidency Absolutely. in order to get back to like, any kind of racial justice. You're like country. my political mom or big sister or something. I All I know is I, I just love you with all my heart. I just am, you're my shiro and thank you for your friendship or your just just inspiration every day. And this book, you've got to read it, Watergate Girl. Uh, I love you, Jill Weinbanks. Thanks for coming on the I happy hour. I love you hour. too. Thanks for coming and, on. Yes, no, it's wonderful i'm so glad and you, the step heads in chicago are one of my favorite groups to be with i did a, a zoom book event with them and oh. it was wonderful our conversation was great you go march with the step heads yeah. you are they can't believe it they are so starstruck and they're like she is so nice and kind and down to earth and uh, again again with the i love you goodbye joe one thanks, thanks joe thanks joe hopefully there'll be a blue wave tour right before the convention Yay. and hopefully there'll be a we'll do it all right Okay, even with the classiest, most elegant happy hour guest we've ever had, Joe Weinbanks, I still managed to be filthy, so I'm going to put this whole podcast in my clean phone. There you go. And disinfect it with UV light. That's right. Because I, I made her talk about the saucy parts of her book, Watergate yes. Girl. Taking lovers. <laughs> Where she took a lover. <laughs> Read about it. It's dirty.
<laughs> but not after being in the clean phone. No, thecleanphone.com, right. man. You got to have it. You got to have it. We're in a huge, what did the doctor tell us today? Huge. First, second wave doesn't matter of coronavirus. We have flu season Spikes. coming up. Yeah. We are spiking everywhere. Mm. The clean phone, you have got to have it for, I'm telling you, the rest of your life. Yep. There's always going to be a flu season. You put your phone in there. You put your mask. You put your car keys, your glasses, your sunglasses, reading glasses, car keys, you name it. All everything it. you need to disinfect. Your, I put my jewelry in there. Um, it's we're thinking about it more now than ever. It's the UV light they're disinfecting masks with in hospitals. You can also get those N95 masks available now for a great price, and they've just lowered the price for N95 masks. They have the disposable ones. I wear those when I'm wearing blue because yeah. I'm super vain. Uh-huh. Okay, and also lavender, aloe vera, hand sanitizer. Right? You wash your hands so much that it doesn't just disinfect. It also softens your hands. Yes. They have everything. One-stop shop. For your uh, safety, thecleanphone.com. Type in sexy liberal. You can get a clean phone pro for only 89 bucks and free shipping. When you use that code sexy liberal, free two day shipping, it ships immediately. Thecleanphone.com. Type in sexy liberal.